Saw a lot of goodies back there going fast. The kids wouldn't share any of it with me either. You know, you go up and say, can I have that? They look at you like you're crazy. They wouldn't give me anything. But I wouldn't give me anything either if I was a kid with a, a snack, right? All right, we are on uh, chapter 9 of the book, Growing Your Faith. I think some of you have been reading it. And we're on the last section, or last chapter of section 2, The Means of Spiritual Growth, which is, well, let's just review real briefly. Chapter 3, The Means of Spiritual Growth, The Things We Need to Grow as Christians. I think he does a nice job of outlining it, help us to think through it. If I want to mature in Christ, then I need... I need to know how to do that, especially younger Christians, even older Christians, good refreshment. And so the discipline of grace, understanding how grace works, we're not saved by works, we're saved by grace <clears throat> all through Christ. In chapter 4 was the role of the Holy Spirit, a lot of falseness around the teaching of the Holy Spirit, bizarre stuff to things that don't make sense. But we talked about the, the real role of the Holy Spirit to empower us to follow Christ. Without the work of the Spirit, you know, if Christ said, I go away and it's good for you, disciples, that I'm leaving. Because if I didn't leave, you wouldn't get the Holy Spirit. I'm sending the Spirit. And so the role of the Spirit as a means of spiritual growth, growing through the Word of God. You know, we're always hitting the pulpit about growing in God it, through His Word, we don't grow apart from the Word empowered by the Spirit. You can try all kinds of your own ideas, and you won't get there. Men have done it all through history. You have to have the Word of God, and you have to have it accurately, right? We don't pull a text out and make it our, our, our text for life without the surrounding. What, what, what does it mean in context? And we don't preach that way either. So we grow through God's Word, and what a gift that we have the Word of God preserved for us. We don't think of that enough. Preserved for us throughout all of human history, when it, well, at least when it began to be written, early the, or the New Testament. We have, we have all of this at our hand, at our tips of our hands, because God preserved it for us through men writing it and preserving it. And then the key to transformation, how we did that, the dis dependent discipline, which is interesting we're dependent and we need to have discipline they, they work together not separately god does what he does and he will do it he's the author and finish your faith but you need to step in and discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness and then last week spiritual fellowship what we're doing today uh, in many ways we're having communion here in a little bit and then we'll have the fellowship luncheon and hopefully some good spiritual things come out of that <clears throat> and then in our small groups and just interchanges with Christians, you need to use that time wisely. Not, it's not every moment. You can talk about the football game. I don't even know who's playing it. Yeah, I do. Uh, but, but you can talk about other things, but you should be coming back to the gospel often because that's, that's what we live and breathe as Christians. We need that as, as we're being assaulted uh, by, by progressive liberals and so forth. And then chapter 9 today, the instrument of the gospel. Um, we're going to talk, get right down to the gospel itself in this conversation. So those are the things that we've been doing today, and I'm going to pray for us. But today we're, we're going to look at the instrument of the gospel. And it's interesting, you say, 
you know, tell me the gospel. And what is the gospel? I mean, it's, it's fairly defined, but it can also be a little bit broad. Uh, we want to walk through and get a, a, maybe a clear view. If you're a newer Christian, this will be very helpful. And even if you're not, as I read through this chapter, I'm thinking, reminder, reminder, right? Blocking and tackling, reminder of this gospel and, and what a gift that is to us. Apart from the gospel, you are all lost. The wrath of God is upon every one of us. But the gospel, the good news, and adhering to it, to repentance makes all the difference for eternity. So let me pray, and then we'll get started. Father, we are grateful, grateful to be reminded of all these things, these means that you have put in front of us to help grow us. We want to be more like Christ, and yet sometimes in our slothfulness, we don't apply ourselves to be more like Christ. And then when we wonder why our faith is weak, we wonder why when trouble comes, we respond in the ways we do, which are not honoring to you. We wonder why we're not thankful people. And Lord, um, you've given us all the means to be thankful, to not be fearful, to, to be solid in the, in the face of difficulty, not because we're so strong, but because you're so strong, and because the gospel and what Christ did on the cross, the death, the resurrection, sitting at the right hand of the Father. That is done, it's secure, and if we're in Christ, we're secure. And we don't have to live with guilt, we don't have to live with shame, we have to live in repentance, and we have to know that your spirit is working in us to press us on towards the mark. We don't drag behind us all the sin of our past, because Christ, you paid for it, and you will pay for all the sin in our future, but we want to limit that sin by living a disciplined life that pleases you so that we could be better tools in your hands to help people. That's what we're here for, to, to glorify you and to help the guy next to us, the lady next to us, to, pro to progress in their faith as well. So help us as we go through this chapter to be uh, faithful to what we learn. In Jesus' name, amen. So as usual, I go through, I just go through the book, and we talk, I have a few comments, and if you ever have a comment, I know I feel like I plow through this, and I probably do a little faster than I sometimes want to, but if you have a comment, a thought, something you want to interject, just put your hand up. I will stop, and then I'll make you stand up. No, I won't. I will stop, and so interaction is, is fine and, and is good if, if we decide or you decide you want to do that. So here we go, chapter 9. As we consider the various means or instruments of growth the Holy Spirit uses, it might surprise you I would include the gospel. Right? Sometimes we think the gospel is how you're saved. Now let's move on. We've got other things to do. That's why you might be surprised. We can readily understand the use of scripture, prayer, and the fellowship of other believers, but where does the gospel fit in? Why do I, as an, a believer of many years, need the gospel? Why is my phone talking to me? I'm calling somebody, sorry about that. Yes, Father, no. No, I'm kidding. So to answer that question, we need to look again at 2 Corinthians 3.18. If you realize we've been going through that, we've been bringing up 2 Corinthians 3.18 a lot. One of the key verses on Christian growth. Let's look at this. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed 
into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So in this verse, Paul draws a connection between our beholding the glory of the Lord and our being transformed. So in the gospel, we should never forget what the gospel is, glorify God in it, which then gives us more power through the Spirit, that, that belief, to live out the Christian life. And, there's, and to, to be transformed, to grow. Man, there's the gospel. I always need to grow, reminding myself of the, the cost for my salvation empowers me through the love of what Christ did for me to be transformed. Because, right, we don't magically, we aren't magically transformed. Just We're Christians, we just walk through life, and we just get better and better and better, right? That's not how it works. We have to, we have to press into that. So what is the glory of the Lord that Paul referred to, and how does beholding it transform us? How does this change us? First, the glory of the Lord denotes the presence of God and all that he is in all of his attributes. God is glorious in all of his being and all of his works. And the more we understand that, the glory of that, the smaller we become in a good way, and the more we deal with life in a way that's productive. Because this is a glorious God. He is a powerful God. And, and he's worthy of all of our worship. I don't need to be afraid. And it doesn't mean you don't have moments of that, right? I mean, something hits you, you go, whoa, right? Rocks you a little bit. But you can come back quickly if this is where you have to press in. Do you know any of the attributes of God? Have you studied them a little bit? Gone in deep enough to go, whoa, this God is all-knowing. He understands my situation. He's all-powerful. He can deal with it. And he's all-loving. He will deal with it. I don't know what the outcome will be exactly, but I can trust him. And so very important that we understand that. Um, he's glorious in all of his works. I need to know that. I need to just keep kind of washing myself over with that. When hardships come, I need to go back to that. However, in the context of 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul was contrasting the glory of the law given by Moses with the far surpassing glory of the gospel. The law is not bad. The gospel is so much better, right? Because Christ paid for my sin as I broke and I break the law. Then in 2 Corinthians 4.4, he spoke of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And remember, the word gospel just means good news. When somebody says, tell me the gospel. You know, you guys are Christians. A lot of you have been Christians a long time. Somebody walks up and goes, give me the gospel. It's like, okay. Uh, okay. Where do I? Think of good news. Think of good news. What's the good news? Virgin birth. Perfect. Sinless Christ. Right? Right? Lived a sinless life. Died a brutal death. Sinless. Poor man. Died. Resurrected from the dead. Overtaking, overpowering sin. Went to the Father, sits at the right hand, praying for us. It's really a basic thing, but super powerful to remember. All the things Christ had to do, that is good news. And then from that, we go out and we learn doctrine, but it all drives us back to that good news. Christ's death reveals the righteousness of God in that it, here's what it did, and you guys know this, it satisfied the justice of God. It also reveals the grace of God, right? You think of the justice of God, the wrath that was upon us, 
has been pulled back, eliminated because of Christ's righteousness. God is satisfied. It also reveals the grace of God in that it was the means of salvation to those who deserve only eternal wrath. That's good news. I'm in, I'm in for that one. That's good news. So it's the grace of God. It's the justice of God and the grace of God. It's not just the justice. It's the grace where God made it possible for us to be participants in that propitiation. Christ's righteousness becomes ours. So it seems that God desires to magnify his grace in a special way to us. Here, and here's what Paul wrote in Ephesians 2. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And that's a mouthful, but here we go. The key phrase for that, what we just read, is that God, God might show the incomparable riches of his grace. This is God's goal in salvation of fallen human beings, the exaltation of his grace to us in Christ. That's his goal. It wasn't, he thought of me first. There's a popular song that, that has a line in it, and I always think, no. It's about the glory of God being revealed by, for, because of what he did for fallen mankind. And so that's, our, that's what we look to. That's the gospel. It's good for us. We love it, right? We're all in. But we're not the center, the sto- the center of the story. It's the grace and the, it's the exaltation of Christ and God's glory in salvation. And that's a big deal to keep in mind. The more often you can take yourself out of the equation of your faith, and I, I don't know if this is quite the way you could phrase it, but the more you pull back and know just who you are, apart from Christ, the, the, the stronger your faith can become because Christ is more magnified. This isn't about John Beale or about you. This is about the glory of God, what he did to intervene so that all of us didn't just get wiped out and put in hell, right? And that's a big, big deal. We don't want to be first. We want the Lord to be first. So to the degree we feel we're on a legal or performance relationship with God, to that degree our progress is impeded. Do we feel that way sometimes? Man, i got to do a little better. God's not very happy with me right now. It's performance-oriented. Now, it doesn't mean we don't. We just sin, and we'll get into that. Ongoing sin, unrepentant. But if you're on a treadmill of performance relationship, we forgot the righteousness of Christ that saved us, not ourselves. A performance mode of thinking gives indwelling sin an advantage because nothing cuts the nerve of the desire to grow as much as a sense of guilt. So the, the, the thinking that uh, indwelling sin, the performance mode of thinking, uh, thinking gives indwelling sin an advantage because nothing cuts the nerve of the desire to grow as much as a sense of guilt. If you live as a Christian, right, you've come to Christ, you've repented, and guess what? You still sin, right? You still sin. If where you run predominantly is the guilt around that sin, 
not the forgiveness. Of course, you need to keep going back to Christ. Help me with the sin. Empower me not to do it. Get good fellowship, people that can help you. But if you live in a sense of guilt as a believing, a believer, you're not, you're weakening yourself. Remember the Apostle Paul, what did he do? Pressed on to the mark of the high calling of God. If he would have looked back, I always think of Paul. If he would have looked back in his Saul days, he would have been, he would have not been writing the scriptures in, in the New Testament, right? Because he would have been drugged down by guilt. Christians were killed. He, he held the coats while Stephen was being stoned. So what sin have you committed that's worse than that? You, you may have some horrible ones, but it's the past. How do I now accept the free gift, the death of Christ, the resurrection, and my repentance to that? How do I accept that so I don't live in guilt? Now, if, you're, if you are in ongoing, predominant sin, unrepentant, doing stupid things, guilt away, because that's not the way the Christian lives. Get help, get counsel. But in our everyday life, we have enough sin to just beat our sin, just get the, the, the guilt sin. I shouldn't have done that. Why did I do that? I'll tell you why. We'll get to it. So on the contrary, nothing so motivates us to want to grow as does the understanding and application of the two truths that our sins are forgiven and the dominion of sin is broken because we're in Christ. Right? That's motivating. You know why? That's not your work. Sins are forgiven because of Christ. Dominion of sin is broken because of Christ. You can't make those things happen. You can't keep your salvation. You can't, you, the dominion of sin is broken if you're in him. That's a big deal. In the words of Hebrews 9.14, it is the blood of Christ that will cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, that is, from sinful acts, so that we may serve the living God. It's the blood of Christ that saved you. It's not you. You didn't do too much if you were like me. You fell on your knees or you got somewhere and you just went, man, I'm a mess. I am in sin. Save me. And all of the things that I didn't even understand at the time became my possession, even though I didn't understand them and, and just tripped all over it for quite a while. Still have to grow in it. But it was this all given to you. Think of it. That's the free gift. You're saved. You're in Christ. You're a co-heir. You're a baby. You don't know anything, maybe. But you're in Christ because of Christ's blood, because he forgives you. And that is, that's where we need to live as, a, in, as Christians, even as we mature. That's where we want to go back to. So our specific responsibility in the pursuit of growth in 2 Corinthians 3.18 then is, here it is. Ready? It's really not... It's not complicated, but we have, to, we have to work on this. To behold the glory of the Lord as it is displayed in the gospel. And again, I just gave you the gospel, a good overview earlier, just the, the perfect virgin birth all the way through the resurrection of Christ and ascension. And you need to behold that. That's what we need to look at. That's the good news. As a 30-year-old Christian, a 40-year-old Christian, you need to keep going back to that. The gospel is the mirror through which we now behold his beauty. It's the gospel. You want to love Christ more? Think about the gospel more. Think about the, 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 
what we think is the starting place, often think of it as the entire place. It's everything. Everything is driven off the gospel. No gospel, no Bible, no hope, no salvation. So one day we shall see Christ not as in a mirror, but face to face. Then we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 1 John 3, 12. And that's, you know, I was thinking of this uh, this week. You know, Rick Berger passed away, I think all of you know, very peacefully in his bed with Joanne and, and Mike Williams was there singing hymns to him. And I thought of this as I was reading this chapter. The day shall, uh, we sh- uh, one day we shall see Christ, not as, a, as in a mirror, but face to face. You know, Rick lived and he struggled, he had a hard life, and he lived in such a way that he always would, you know, he'd go back and forth between guilt and I want to live for Christ, and it's similar to all of us. And I said, Rick, he's like, what's it going to be like to cross over? He goes, I'm really more afraid of just, right, the transition time. (laughs) And he was, it was really amazing how the Lord took him very gently. But now we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So he went from struggle, sin that you're fighting, and he did. He wanted to, to know Christ. He, he knew a lot more Bible at times than most of us. He really read his Bible, and now he's face to face. So what are we going to do before we are face to face with the gospel? Ah, that's what got him there, and now he's there. So it's, that's, and that's all of our faith, you know, exactly. So until then, we behold him in the gospel. So right now, here's where we're at. We're in the gospel, in the gospel. That's how we behold him, not face-to-face at the moment. If you go face-to-face with Christ, come see me, because we need to talk, okay? Therefore, in this life, therefore, we must keep the gospel continually before us. Always keep in mind the first bookend of Christ's righteousness. Remember our bookends? The righteousness of Christ, the power of Christ, and we're putting these disciplines in there. And the instrument of the gospel is the last one that we're, that we're placing in there. But we have to keep in mind it's all Christ's righteousness. All of it. It's not your righteousness or mine. So to behold the glory of Christ in the gospel is a discipline. It's a habit we must develop by practice as we learn to bathe our minds in the gospel. None of the means of growth is more important than beholding the glory of Christ in the mirror of the gospel and experiencing the conscious cleaning effect of the blood of Christ. Here we go, back to that habit, right? The discipline that we need because it's not osmosis, it's work. Is there anything that isn't work if you want to get better at it? The gospel is no different. Now the work we do is put ourselves in that place. Learn what the Bible says, be in fellowship, right? Strive to be righteous, but knowing that only the Spirit of God is going to make you righteous, you're not doing it on your own, but I need to put myself, and Sunday school is a great place to put yourself in that position, right? We're learning. Let's think about it. What couple things can I take from this talk and begin applying them today? So you see the glory of Christ by discipline. <clears throat> you don't do it by some <laughs> jig you do on stage or a smoking show or a <clears throat> you know light show or Hillsong music. That's not bringing you closer to, to Christ. We need to discipline ourselves.
But someone may ask, doesn't the continual emphasis on the gospel and the free pardon of our sins open the door to easy believism? The idea that now, the idea that now that I've been, uh, I've prayed a prayer and been saved from eternal punishment, it doesn't matter how I live. Is that true? Do people think this? Yeah. Are they getting fire insurance? I've said, I've said that to a few people. It sounds like you just want fire insurance. It's not going to go well with you. You need the gospel that changes you. If you've come to Christ, if you believe you're a Christian and you sin willfully and kind of freely and make excuses for sin that's clear in the scripture, this doesn't apply to you because the spirit will help you to live a life that honors Christ. But we have to discipline ourselves. It's not easy, but this is not easy believism. All right? It's, it's not. It's not put my hand up at a meeting, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, now I can go do what I want. That's not any, anywhere found in the scriptures. So you can take that off the table. There's sometimes you think, we don't want to talk too much about the grace of God because that's going to give freedom for people to just take advantage. I think we'll address that here in just a minute. And it's not true. Not the true grace of God. Not a biblical grace. That won't make anybody want to do anything but repent and change. So Paul anticipates such a question in Romans 6.1. Oh, here we are. In response to his statement uh, in Romans 5.20. But where sin increased, this is 5.20, grace increased all the more. He himself raises the objection, and here's what he says. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Right? Romans 6.1. So he was getting the same question. What should, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Is that what you guys are asking? If we're justified freely by God's grace through the work of Christ, doesn't more sin increasingly magnify God's grace? Right? If the grace is there, I'm magnifying him by, by sinning more. By no means. That's how he responds. No, absolutely not. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? That's the answer. And I'm not thinking folks in this room are thinking this, but this is a, can be a fairly common thought amongst, maybe amongst believers. Maybe it's more amongst non-believers who just want to sin. Shall we sin that grace may abound? Paul's words, no. Just one day, one, no. That's not the way this works. <clears throat> now here's the difficult part. What does Paul mean when he says that we died to sin? What is that? Am I gone? Am I dead right now? Am I a dead man talking? It's fairly obvious he does not mean that we died to daily committal of sin, right? You died, so don't worry, you're not going to sin anymore. If that were true, no honest person could claim to be justified because we all sin daily, right? So that can't be what he means. You died to sin. That means um, that, that we're not going to sin anymore. We go, Bleh. we say we haven't sinned. We lie and the truth is not in us. We know better. Nor does it mean that we died in the sense of being no longer responsive to sin's temptations. Right? If that were true, Peter's admonition to abstain from sinful desires would be pointless. So what does Paul mean? So it doesn't mean that, that we're just going to stop sinning. As Paul says, 
abstain from sinful desires if you go look up 1 Peter 2.11. There's a command to go do that because our tendency is we're going to, even as Christians, still go do it. And there are some people that think they live a holiness life where they don't sin anymore, which is a fallacy. It's not found in Scripture either. So the guilt of our sin in Adam resulted, here it is, in our uh, being given over to sin's dominion as a penal consequence, right? So he died, we know if we're, if we're born in Adam, we, we, are, we, we have that penal punishment resting on us from birth. That's the consequences of, of the sin. When a judge sentences a person, you guys have heard some of these, but I'll, I'll read it to you. A judge sentences a person convicted of a crime to five years in prison. That sentence is the penal consequence of the crime. Just as Adam's penal consequence is us being dead in our sins, a person who's, who's done his five years uh, or, or gets five years, that's his penal. That's, that's his penalty and the consequences of the crime. Part of the penal consequences of Adam's sin was to be delivered over to the dominion or bondage of sin. There it is. Some people say, that's not fair. I didn't do it. Well, that's a whole other conversation. You deserve where you're at in your sin. Even if he did not, wasn't the one whose sin came to you, you've sinned enough to take that off the table. But his sin, rightfully so, is, did affect us. That's scripture. This is why David said, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And we know at this church we... We beat this drum. We're such bad people, uh, dead in our trespasses. And some people hate that message, right? We love it because we see the glory of Christ in saving us, and it's what the scriptures teach. But David knew it very sim simply. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. From the moment I, I was sinful. He understood what we heard, know about Adam. <clears throat> in the case of the prisoner who has served his five years, his penal consequences are over. The broken law no longer has a claim against him. In that sense, he has ended his relationship to the law and its penal consequences. He must continue to obey the law in the future, but the particular offense that sent him to prison has been dealt with forever. To use Paul's expression for this, this inmate, he has died to the law and its penal consequences. In jail for five years, you've paid the term, you're no longer under that law, right? Now, penal, it's gone, it's in your history. Now, just don't break the law again, right? So that's, that's justice, that's how it works, and rightfully so. So how does it apply to us? That's the question. Let me paraphrase from the comments of John Brown, 19th century Scottish pastor, and it's in page, I didn't want to write it all out. I was getting late, and I'm just going to read this to you. And it's a paraphrase. He uses this on page 112 of your book. And he says, The wages of sin is death. Until the condemning sentence is executed, a person is subject to sin, both its power and its power to condemn and its power to deprave or exert dominion. But let the penal consequences be fully endured. Let the law's penalty be fully paid. And the person is at once delivered from sin's condemning power and its depraving influence or dominion. It is in this way that all that are in Christ Jesus, all that have been justified by his grace, have died. 
not in their own persons, but in the person of their surety. They are therefore delivered from the reign of sin, from its power to condemn, and therefore also from its power to rule in the heart and life. The, the, the price has been paid. I'm not the inmate that has to pay my own price, like the illustration. I'm the inmate that could not pay the price, and Christ stepped in, and he's the surety of that, right? He is the one who delivered us from sin's condemning power and its depraving influence or dominion. That's the Christ that we, that we serve. And he died, to, died so that we could die to sin by accepting that, right? That big propitiation. I love that. I stand before me, before a holy God. Can you imagine that without Christ? You, you couldn't. And then Christ steps in, Father, he's mine. He, my righteousness is his righteousness. I mean, that's what happens in the Christian's, Christian's life. The condemnation is gone in this life and in eternity. You get to heaven the same way. So count yourselves dead to sin. We are free from the guilt and the reigning power of dominion of sin in our lives. It's interesting, you might sit there and go, I'm not free of guilt. Well, we are according to scripture. We are, that's where God has placed us because of Christ's finished work. So if you still have guilt for things that you've repented of and you've, you're trying to move past, that's something you can grow to, to, to not do that anymore. You can grow by knowing who Christ is and, and the glory of God. Of what use is this information to us? How can it help us when we are struggling with some persistent sin pattern and see ourselves often giving in to our sinful desires? How does this help? How do, I mean, I got this sin that I just keep wanting to run back to, and then I repent, and then I'm lured, you know, and there's this ongoing tension. So how does this help us? Here's where Paul's instruction in Romans 6.11 can help. Look at that. He gives us an answer right here. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to Christ, to God in Christ Jesus. Why is that so simple? Why is it so hard for us to grab it and just kind of go, okay? Because, because we're not thinking consistently enough. We talked about it earlier, the attributes of God, the sheer power of the God we serve, who created the heavens and the earth, who has said this is so, and we in our sinfulness sort of start to find that. Well, maybe for that guy down there. But for me... Can I really count myself dead to sin? That's exactly how God sees you, even if you're sinning, if you're in Christ. Now we need the power and the ability to overcome more sin. So it's important we understand Paul's point because he's not telling us to do something but to believe something. We're to count on or believe that we are dead, in, dead to sin. Okay, so you think in your mind right now, if you're a Christian, and think, I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. First of all, we're dead to its guilt. God no longer counts it against us. We are no longer under condemnation because of it. And I know in a room this size, even with good Bible teaching and, and things you've learned, there, there are people sitting in here that have a continual condemnation 
going on, have guilt going on. And I'm not here to relieve you of guilt if you're doing something horrific over and over unrepentant. I'm talking about a Christian who sins because, man, this flesh of ours is just, we'll see, we'll see Christ face to face one day, so that'll be done. That's where, that's where Rick is right now, right? I'm a little jealous, man. Um, but right now, we need to know that we are dead to sin. And, and that frees you up. That doesn't mean you're not sinning. It means you're dead to it. It means it has no power, no dominion over you, which frees you up to go, okay, Lord, you're going to help me in this sin. You're going to help me overcome this or that. But regardless, I'm dead to it. And I know my spirit, our spirits hate that. That's how you know that you're battling it. You hate it, and you're doing it. But, but don't forget that you're dead to it. It has no power over you. Don't think, oh, I can't, you know, okay, I'm really old, so it just came to my mind. I shouldn't use illustrations that just popped in my mind because it's very dangerous. But years ago, there's some of you who remember Flip Wilson. Anybody? Nobody wants to admit it. Lady in the back. <laughs> the devil made me do it. That was it, right? I don't remember. I was actually, that was so long ago. I was a little guy. I didn't really hear it too much. But he used to always, the devil made me do it. Um, that was a man that the devil probably did encourage him, and he was in the flesh, so he just did it. The devil cannot you make you do anything as a believer. And no power. No power. We are no longer under condemnation because of that. And you, it's just so good to get that in your mind. Just Even if you can't feel like you can't live it at the moment, embrace it as God's word, and his word will begin to change your thinking in this area. And this is not make-believe. You are indeed guilty in yourself, right? We're not saying you're not. But God no longer regards you as guilty because the guilt of your sin has already been borne by Christ as your substitute. So you're guilty. So, you know, when you sin, it's your sin. It's ugly. But the guilt of your sin has already been borne by Christ. Past, present, future. He's, he's borne it. The sentence has been served. The penalty has been paid. You have died to sin's guilt. So now you can just let your shoulders down and go, good. I've died to that. Wow, I'm going to glory in God. Knowing that is so much better than having that kind of a gray thing in your mind because you're struggling with sin and not, not fully embracing what Christ has done for you. We're taking away from the finished work of Christ and saying, nah, not quite for me. So just embrace that. Wherever you're at in your sin, if you're a believer, whatever sins you're dealing with, embrace that. That is the truth, and it's not predicated on your specific sin. It's predicated on the finished work of Christ. Right? He defeated death. He defeated sin. And then look to him. If you don't believe you are dead to sin's guilt, you cannot trust Christ for the strength to subdue its power in your life. The place to begin in dealing with sin in your life is to count on the fact that you died to its guilt through your union with Christ in his death. That's how you deal with sin. Lock it in. Lock it into Christ. Do it any, any other way, you'll never get there. Your guilt will never be, be taken care of. Although sin is an active principle, is still with us. Active principle and is still with us. It can no longer reign supreme in our lives. 
We are united to Christ, and his Holy Spirit has come to reside in us. No dominion, no supremacy of sin. We have been delivered from the power of Satan and given a new heart, right? Are you a new creation in Christ? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are if you're in Christ. But you still, all things does not include the flesh. But you are new. You are alive to Christ. You're, you are, you're in a great position. But your flesh still battles you. However, as believers, we do experience the tension, right? That tension that Paul talks about in Galatians 5.17. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Paul knew it. He wrote it right here, right? You go read Romans 7. Ernie preached about that not long ago. There's a tension. The, na- the natural desires are contrary to the spirit. Your natural desire, you are not a Disney child and your heart, just dream in your heart and everything will be good. Your heart is still that sinful part, desperately wicked, and wants to lead you into darkness. But Christ has got an answer for that. But that tension is real. So I'm not trying to say that tension's not real. I'm not trying to say you're not sinning. I hope that's clear. I'm saying there's a solution to our thinking that helps us to then begin to mature in Christ, which is what we're trying to do here, and taking a roadblock out of the way. Remove the guilt, look to Christ, and move forward, and you will grow in your walk with Christ as you know more about who God is, more about Christ. The scriptures, you got to have the scriptures. So do not let sin reign. Another way of describing this tension between the sinful nature and the spirit is to liken it to a tug of war with two opposing teams, right? Playing tug of war. I was in a company years ago and we'd go out, we'd go to Florida, national sales meetings, and they'd, let's do some games. And I think at the time it was just all men in the sales force. Those were rare days, huh? And We'd get those tug of war, you know, do tug of war on the beach. You ever done that on the beach? You have no traction. And what would you do? You'd look for the bigger guys that can hang on to a rope. And then you would start and you would pull, usually, back and forth. Men's pride are big, man. They'll dig in until they pop a blood vessel to try to win that, right? And you'd pull back and forth. So it's back and forth until one eventually, somebody wears out and, and somebody wins. That's what you're dealing with here, if you get that visual. It's the, I want to I walk by the Spirit. Uh, ah, man, that looks tempting. And you go back and forth. You want to win that. In the case of sin, we must count on the fact that though it still resides in us, it no longer has dominion over us. As Paul said, for sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. These are great verses if you... If you feel condemned, you feel guilty, something in your past, even something in your present. This is, these are great texts. It's Romans 6, 14 to memorize. Sin shall not be your master. You can only have one master. It's either Christ or it's sin. It's not both. Therefore, because we have the assurance that sin shall not be our master, we're not uh, to let it reign in our mortal bodies so that we obey its desires. So that's Romans 6.12. We, we fight against this, right? That's discipline. 
Rather, we are, by the enabling power of the Spirit, to put to death the misdeeds of the body and to abstain from the sinful desires which war against our souls. We have work to do. I never want to leave us in this la-la land of no work. That's silly. We press in. We do what Christ has called us to do. We strive to live out the fruits of the Spirit, but what do we do it? By the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's His fruit working through us. We want to be that vessel to live in that way. So we're not to wage this warfare in the strength of our own willpower, right? I'm not saying that. He's not saying that in the book this morning. Instead, as we have already seen in chapter 7, we're to look to him by faith for the enabling power to live the Christian life. You're not, you're not a captive to sin. You're not, the, the, the dominion of sin is not taking you over. It's not mastering you. And the power of the Spirit's working in you, so you aren't using willpower. You, you're walking in the power of the Spirit and that enables you to live this life that we all want to live. You're a Christian in here. You want to live a better Christian life today and tomorrow than you did yesterday. You should. So we believers are spiritually united to Christ in such a way that our spiritual life and the power to live that life comes from him. So he said all this. Christ is going to do all this. He's finished work. We need to discipline ourselves. But you put it all together and you, your mind will explode if you try to completely comprehend this. But it's absolutely biblical. Our spiritual life and the power to live that life comes from him. So the way we live our lives, even our own discipline, that's Christ working in us to help us to be disciplined to do it. And that's freeing. He'll help you. He'll help you be disciplined to live that life if you'll step towards it and, and move away from sin. Warring against the sin that remains in us and putting on Christ-like character is usually called, and we, we know, sanctification. What is it then that will keep us going in the face of this eternal conflict? Here we go, full circle. The answer is the gospel, the good news. That's what brings us there. That's what empowers us to live the life that we should live. It's the assurance in the gospel that we have indeed died to the guilt of sin, that there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus, that the Lord will never count our sin against us, and that we are truly delivered from the reigning power of sin. That, that, that does motivate you if you think of that and really embrace that, doesn't it? It's like none of this stuff is, is going to affect you. I mean, you're going to struggle through it, but it can't overtake you. And that's motivating to know that Christ already did that work. I just got to walk in it. Lord, I want to be more faithful in this area. And if I have an area of sin that, that I'm not faithful and I keep failing, go back to Christian fellowship. Find somebody that can sit with you and help you to see what's happening, to pray with you, to counsel you. You need somebody in your life. Don't let reigning sin that has no power to reign reign in your life because you're, you're allowing it to, right? Step in. And you won't shock anybody with the sin you have. I've done counseling with a lot of people, and I've had people come in and go, man, I, I'm embarrassed to even say this. You've never heard anything this bad. <laughs> really? <laughs> We're humans. We've heard bad things. But what a blessing when somebody comes and says, I need help. What Christian in this room wouldn't say, let me help you. Sit down, let's talk. So if you need help, 
find somebody. You don't want sin to have its wrongful place in your life because you're letting it rather than finding a, a way to, to understand that it doesn't have to be in your life. Okay, two more slides. Paul said, for Christ's love compels us, right? To be compelled is to be highly motivated. We're to be motivated by Christ's love for us, right? Compelled by love. And where do we learn of his love? Sound like I'm repeating myself. It's the gospel, right? Where do we hear him say, I love you? It's the gospel. Does Christ love you as a Christian? Yeah, it's the gospel. You don't have to think, will he love me tomorrow? No, it's the gospel. He loves you right now. He's, he proved it already. He doesn't have to keep proving it, right, for us. So the gospel received in our hearts at salvation not only frees us from the guilt of sin, but also from the reigning power of sin. And the gospel believed every day is the only enduring motivation to pursue our warfare with sin. That is why we need to always keep the gospel before us. So the instrument of the gospel, this is just a little review. You've heard these things before. Let that just saturate your life. Think of that. And you do not have to be under the reign of sin, the dominion, the guilt. You don't have to be. There's means that we've talked about for the last several weeks that you can use to grow so that you can glorify God and help other people. If you get stuck in your own sin and your own guilt, it's amazing how limiting that is. Christ wants you to get out. Be an amb- we're ambassadors of Christ. Get out in there. Help somebody. But we need to be able to understand how to help ourselves sometimes first. And I think Jerry Bridges did a nice job there. I made it on time. Any thoughts, any questions on this? Anybody want to admit their sin to me right now? No? <laughs> Maybe not. We can talk later. I've got some for you too. So, All right, let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the gospel, the good news. Christ, what a sacrifice you made to alleviate us of guilt, of, of the dominion of sin that in, was in us, in our lives before we knew you, the wrath that you displayed in our lives, gone because Christ took it. Father, help us to understand that and help us not to use it as a license to sin because that's not what we're talking about. Help us to use it and the gospel to just glorify you, to thank you every day, to walk in the newness of life that you've delivered by the power of your spirit, through the righteousness that you've given us through Christ. It's all here. We just need to be disciplined enough to grab it. Lord, that's hard. It's not a simple thing. It's an easy it's a fairly easy thing to understand, but to actually live it in, in real time in a world that is so hostile and, and families that are struggling and our own sin. Lord, we need your help. We desperately need your help. We can't do this on our own. So I pray that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen.